Hi, this is Levi. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to take a quick minute to introduce a few of the other podcasts in the WCF Podcast Network. Tom and Naomi are exploring how we interact in our ecclesial relationships in From the Platform. It's a very in-depth series that is incredibly helpful for understanding and developing compassion and better listening practices. That's From the Platform. Sam Taylor from Cleveland, Ohio, produces weekly devotionals in Pause to Consider. Think uh, Mr. Rogers meets uh, Fireside Chat. I love Sam's humble style and think every episode is fantastic. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at wcfoundation.org. Now, here's the show. Welcome back to Little Faith. This is a podcast sponsored by the Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation. A Little Faith podcast explores both the challenges and hope of living a life of faith. This is another of our special podcasts covering faith during COVID-19. I'm Helen and today I'm chatting with a very good friend of mine, Caitlin Molinaro. Hi, Caitlin. How are you doing? Hi, Helen. I'm good. I am healthy and happy and comfortable and enjoying my day off. (laughs) Oh, and so you should be because you've been like working so hard at the moment. And before we start talking um, about your job, which of course is a nurse, and you've been really busy at the moment, um, I'd like you to kind of introduce uh, a bit about yourself to everyone. And I was thinking about like when we first met, um, it was when I came to New Jersey, which is almost three years ago. And I think, like, I came in August 2017. And when did you move to New Jersey? It was January of 2000... The same year? 2017. Yeah. yeah. I think it so was. You, yeah, it was yeah, January So you 17th. hadn't been in New Jersey that much longer no. than me. Um, and I kind of spotted you at Scorley's Mountain. And I think we connected because we, yes, we, we were both new. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit like fish out of water together. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes. And it's been really, of course, really lovely getting to know you better over the last couple of years. Definitely. It's it's been wonderful. Yeah. And uh, you obviously are not from New Jersey. So tell tell us um, where you're from. So I was born and raised in Northeast Ohio near Cleveland. And I'm one of 10 children. Um, Four of my brothers and sisters are adopted from Africa And um, I moved out when I was 17 and went to school for nursing in Illinois um, and was part of the Bloomington, Illinois Ecclesia there for a few years while I finished my degree. And then um, when I finished, I moved back to Cleveland and had a job there for two years and then um, met my husband during that period of time, um, finishing school and moving back to Ohio and um, eventually, two years after starting my first nursing job, I moved out to New Jersey and have been a part of the Schoolies Mountain Ecclesia and gotten engaged, gotten married. And um, yeah, here I am now. <laughs> yeah. And you haven't been married very long. You got married in January. Right. Yeah. So- January 3rd. It's been a little bit over three months. So. Yeah, and new newly married life isn't quite how you imagined. <laughs> I imagine because no, of, <laughs> because of because of COVID nineteen. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot different than I think we were um, expecting. Obviously, because we got married over um, Jacob's school break. He's going to college for his chemical engineering degree, and um, I'm a travel nurse, so I'm able to take long breaks between my contracts. I basically get to decide how much time I would like off 
Um, and I just take the time off. So it's really nice. So we had that break and we were heading back into his school semester at the end of January and he had, you know, two part-time jobs and then a full class schedule. And of course I'm working and we just moved into an apartment. So we were just kind of, you know, figuring, oh, we'll settle in, we'll get our apartment, you know, made to be our home, um, you know, on the in-between times off when we're both off in the home at the same time. And, uh, yeah, then the middle of March hit, not even, yeah, two months after we got married and he's out of work, um, school's completely online. So he's home 24 seven and um, I'm still working. Uh, but yeah, we are getting so much more time together um, in person, which has been actually wonderful because um, I think we have started off so much stronger and more on top of our communication than a lot of people get the chance to because we've kind of been forced to just be together. And yeah. uh, I, I think it's a huge blessing. And I honestly feel like everyone should be at home with their spouse for the first <laughs> few months. <laughs> but it's like extended honeymoon. Yeah, really, truly. Um, of course, he's in the other room right now studying, <laughs> doing schoolwork um, in the office. Uh, on his Zoom meetings with all of his classmates and his professors and stuff like that. So, mm. you know, we do have our separate time, um, which is wonderful. I'm very thankful for our two-bedroom apartment. Um, mm. In this instance, I can't imagine what we would be doing if the space was a lot smaller, too. And my heart goes out to a lot of people mm. who don't have as nice of a living situation or the space that we do have in order to get our alone time here and there, um, mm. you know, and get our stuff done. But, yeah, it's been a wild ride the first couple of months, but it's really been good. It's really been good. Oh, that's great to hear. So are you, with your travel nursing, are you working more than normal at the moment? Are you being asked to do extra hours? Yes. Um, I have been asked to do quite a few extra hours. Um, and I've been picking up a shift here or there. Um, for instance, last week, well, I guess the week and then two days before out of nine days I worked seven of those days and that was hard I was exhausted by the time it was over and then I had five days off um but for the first two days after that stretch um I just I really was just sleeping in and trying to just get back on my feet it really Mm. just wipes you out so um Mm, they're they're really long shifts and that's a lot on you not just physically but I'm sure a lot more emotionally at the moment. Yeah, it's hard. Um, I So I actually went to visit my parents right before um, the quarantine hit. And we came back and it was my second shift back after having eight days off for vacation. And um, one of my patients passed away unexpectedly. And it was just, it was hard because... I, we came back from vacation. The next day, quarantine started in New Jersey, and um, nobody was allowed in and out of the hospital. So that was like the first day where no visitor, visitors were allowed. And um, my patient had been very, very sick. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a shock. Um, and it was unrelated to the virus whatsoever. But still, like, I've never cried that hard over losing a patient before because it just hit me in a totally different way 
than it ever mm-hmm. has before. And I've, I mean, I've had lots of patients die, um, mm. you know, because it's been their time or they've been on hospice or even unexpectedly before, because I've been a nurse for five years and that's what happens. Um, but this one just hit me particularly hard because I saw it coming and there was nothing I could do to stop it. And I was the only person there truly with that patient through the last four hours of his life. And that Mm. was just really hard. Um, Mm. And calling the family and like when he was no longer conscious, but he still had a heartbeat and letting them, you know, putting the phone up to his ear and just encouraging them to talk to him um, Mm. in his last moments. It was just, it was hard. And there's been Mm. a lot of those kind of situations ever since then. Mm. Mm. So and like, yeah, so a lot more than normal. Yeah. So what um what type of ward have you been working on previously? Have you been have you been moved to a different ward over the last couple of weeks? Yeah. Take, take us take us well take us through <laughs> like kind of mate. I don't know last the last five or six weeks. Um, what were you doing before you went down to Texas? And then kind of after those eight days, how how did it change for you? Right. So. Before we left on our Texas trip, um, it was I work on a medical surgical telemetry unit. So it's mostly people who come in with chest pain and need to be monitored for 24 hours or um, people coming in with, you know, high or low blood sugars or people coming in with a new stroke, things like that. Mm. People who are sick but relatively stable, Um and these people are older. Yes, those kind of symptoms. Yeah, you're yeah, telling me yes about. And, yeah, yes, and no. I mean, I yeah, we see patients from the age of eighteen all the way up, you know, mm. to hundred and ten. You know, like we've. So I I have cared for a lot of those kind of patients, but yeah, mostly people with a lot of um, extra like comorbidities, the uh, mm. ha- different health problems. So it's usually not healthy people coming in with something. Um, But we also are the observation unit. So we would get a lot of patients coming in who are, I have abdominal pain. I have a headache that hasn't gone away in five days. I have my foot hurts. Um, Like just those kind of people who the emergency room doesn't really have an answer for why those things are happening. So they don't want to just say go home. Mm. Um, But we want to keep them under observation to, to do for a little further testing and just see if we can resolve those symptoms um, or just at least get them a consult with a doctor in order to follow up after Mm. the hospital stay. So we'd get a lot of those kind of patients as well. Um, so that was what it was like before we left. Um, and we'd still have really sick patients. There would be times where, because we're a a telemetry unit, which means we monitor people's hearts. Um, Mm. we'd get a lot of patients sometimes who would have, heart issues where their heart rhythm um, is not normal. So it's can change to a point where it would need to be addressed in an ICU setting. And um, a lot of times we would have situations where we need to send patients off to the ICU or um, at least upgrade their level of care to like a step down ICU. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's small. It's a small community hospital. Everyone works really well together. People are fam- like family. People have worked there for 25 plus years. You know, you get a mm. job there, you don't leave kind of thing. And I'm there mm. as a travel nurse. So um, it's different, but I've also extended my contract twice um, because I love it so much. And I do love the environment I'm in. Mm. So that was before 
before the government um, instituted quarantine in March. And then after we got back from Texas and quarantine hit, um, the first big change was no visitors. So um, that was really hard for about a week there, just explaining to family why they couldn't Mm. come, why they couldn't visit. Um, A lot of time spent on the phone, just going through, you know, what's happening with their family member or their Mm. loved one. Um, So that was the first big change. And the other big change was the hospital just started shifting people out of, different positions into more like a, okay, we got to prepare for this because New York City is starting to see an influx of cases. This was just at the very, very beginning Mm. of that. And um, our hospital did a really good job at getting ahead of the curve. And they um, prepared really well. They shut down most same-day surgery and elective surgery, elective procedures, their endoscopy suites. Um, They shut down um, and like... They started converting all of the rooms to negative pressure rooms, which are rooms that you use for patients who have airborne isolation precautions Mm -hmm. um, or patients who are positive for COVID-19. So they started doing a lot of these changes in that first week to week and a half that I was back. So everything's an upheaval, you know, everything's different. Um, And so... Yeah, I was was gonna ask actually, so in that situation where patients can't have visitors, do you feel that there is also they have like higher emotional needs because they they want to they want pe- want to talk to people they they want to talk to you because there's no one else there to talk to. Yes, for sure. The emotional needs of our patients definitely went up. Um mm. but it was also interesting to see the type of patients changed as well. So it was particularly hard for our elderly population, like the really mm. sick older people who are confused because usually having family there helps give some type of normalcy or it calms down the patients and all of a sudden you no longer have that mm. intervention because that is an intervention. So there was a lot more energy and time spent um, just with those type of patients trying to calm them down and... Um, just trying to figure out other ways to help with those situations. But we also saw a change in like the patients who would come in with a chest pain or tummy ache or the headache, those patients just disappeared. Magically, they're fine. They no longer need to come to the emergency room. So somehow that class of people, the the hypochondriacs, something like that. Yeah. They no longer, um, I guess, saw that they needed to come to the emergency room in light of the current situation. So those patients are usually some of the more difficult ones because there really isn't that much wrong with them. So they're a lot more in tune with, you know, I need my ginger ale or where's my cup of ice or my blankets needs to be arranged in a different way or whatnot or my toe itches, I can't reach my toe kind of thing. So it's like... So that group of patients left, but then we had an influx of what I would call people who need to be in the hospital, yeah. um, which are your older adults who already have lots of illnesses. Um, but coming with that means that instead of me having, you know, three patients who are really sick and two patients who are pretty much self-sufficient, um, now I have five patients that are all very sick and require me being with them 
very frequently. So Mm -hmm. it shifted. It was a huge shift from what we were used to before to obviously what our reality is now. Um, Yeah. Wow. And what's what's a day like or what's what's a shift like for you at the moment? I mean, my routine has changed drastically. Just my normal um, getting ready and going to work and coming home has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm a very clean person in general. So like, like I always have a zone where I take my shoes off and my scrubs off and stuff when I come in the house, but it's a whole different level now just because of the type of mm. illness we're seeing, the virus. Mm. Um, so that's changed. Uh, when I leave for work, it takes a little bit longer because I just have to stop and remember, did I bring my, did I bring my cap? Did I bring my homemade mask? Do I have, I have like a separate bag for work now that I bring. Um, so I'm not bringing my whole purse, my whole wallet with me to work. Yeah. Um, just trying to bring the essentials with me. And then, you know, the drive to work, I try and get to work a little bit earlier now, just because again, the process of putting all your gear on. Yeah. Yeah. So getting the gear on or just getting my things put away and just being a little bit more conscious of where I'm setting my bags down, where I'm putting my coat, that kind of thing. Um, and then also because of COVID, we have to be willing to float anywhere in the hospital and floating means that they can move you to different units. So I have to get to work a little bit earlier just to make sure that they haven't moved me because, um, Mm -hmm. I actually am not able to see their online schedule, um, because of my, because I'm a traveler. So I don't Mm -hmm. know until I get to the hospital where I'm going to be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, that's hard. That's hard for you. Yeah. Yeah, so I never know. I'm like, well, I could be on my home floor with the same coworkers that I'm used to working with um, in a different situation, but at least with the same people. Or I could be in the ICU with nurses that I don't really know very well because I haven't worked with them very much um, with positive COVID cases in an ICU setting Mm. where the level of care is just completely different than what we were doing on our floor. Mm. Or I could be downstairs in one of their temporary units that they've now created. They've built more ICU rooms in same-day surgery and endoscopy um, areas. So, you know, it's the anxiety of not knowing where, Mm. like, I'm going to be definitely has increased. Mm. So there's that. Um, But again, like all things, I've kind of adapted to that. So it just is a fact of life now. Um, have you been in the ICU setting? Yes. Yes. Yes, I have. Um, it was hard, but it was good in the sense that I think they needed the help like so much. And because Mm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not an ICU trained nurse. I've done everything but ICU level nursing care. So I have an idea of what goes on there because of my experience in step-down units and things like that. Um, but seeing the way the doctors were treating the patients and the therapies the nurses were doing and their routine and stuff and just how overwhelmed they are, I was sent there. They call us helping hands. Mm-hmm. So I won't be a primary nurse on a patient's case, but I will be there to buddy up with a nurse. So I'm assigned to a nurse and I am her second set of eyes, ears, and hands um, all day long. And it's scary because the reality of it is, is I'm doing things that I'm not technically 
trained to do. Mm. But because it's a pandemic, I'm required to do them. Mm. And do you get do you get opportunity to ask questions? Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. No, they've they've been very good about um providing education and like I am I ask so many questions all day long. <laughs> I'm one of those people that probably will drive you nuts with how many questions I'll ask. And I've always been a very black and white, follow the rules, go by protocol kind of nurse. Um because mm. believe me, there are some that are mm. not. <laughs> but And is protocol changing? I mean Yes. Um, yeah. I, I imagine all the time depending on the need. Yes, for sure. Um, it's every, I feel like every 24 hours, it's changing so much in so many different ways. Mm, yeah. And when they're changing so much and there's such a flux and they're changing reactively, not mm-hmm. proactively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's really hard. It's really hard because you have to keep on top of it. You have to, um, like your morals have to change every mm. day too. Mm. Um, you have to come to terms with a lack of safety every day that's changing. Um, you never know, like, am I going to get in trouble for doing this this way today versus doing this this way tomorrow? Um, yeah, there's just a lot of change with the protocols. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really challenging, Caitlin. How... How have you been coping or like what kind of coping mechanisms have you been developing through this, do you think? I just, uh, I don't, how would I describe my coping mechanisms? I think as possibly unhealthy as this is, I have almost avoided talking about it. Yeah. um, Because I think that it kind of pulls me into a place of negativity. Like it, it puts me in a very negative mind space. And um I think it's important to talk and to share, but I think if it's dwelled upon too much or hashed apart too many times, you can really, it just can really affect you negatively, Mm. um, emotionally and mentally. Mm. Um, And so like, this is probably one of the first times I've really talked about my work experience in detail. And Mm. lots of people have asked me, you know, how are you doing or how is work? you know, what's going on? Or are you seeing lots of cases? Like those are the classic questions I get asked almost every single day by a lot of people. And I've pretty much tried to keep it pretty generic because again, it's hard. It's hard. It's, I kind of equate it to like being, I don't know, um, an early mother who's probably sleep deprived and feels terrible and just it's awful like I love my newborn but I feel like I feel awful because I just gave birth kind of situation and I'm getting no sleep and I can't take care of myself like I normally would and like people are asking you oh how are you doing and you're like how do I answer that yeah yeah I'm completely with you about the sleep deprivation (laughs) yeah so that's hard so yeah I mean I think it's good to talk through it and I have talked some with with Jacob with my husband about things but at the same time, for both of our sakes, I've tried to kind of just leave it at work. Mm. Um, how, that's, how, how do work support you? I mean, even even when work is normal, how how are you supported with the experiences you're having? Like, do, do, do nurses talk a lot to each other? Yes. Um, I guess that would be definitely one way that we're coping through this as healthcare workers together. Um, at work, we do talk about a lot of things. And 
behind closed doors, there is a lot of frustration and, um, and being pulled from so many different directions. You know, you're dealing with Mm -hmm. a new virus, you're dealing with an influx of patients, you're dealing with working in different conditions than you were before. Um, you're working with a whole bunch of new coworkers because they're pulling nurses from other hospitals and sending new traveling nurses. So you're learning how to work with different personalities. Mm. Um, you know, doctors are getting sick, so you don't have the same doctors on that you normally would. So you're trying to figure out that you have the constant changing of the policies. So there's just so many different things like internal. Mm. So we do like our lunch breaks are kind of like our decompression, (laughs) Decompression time. Yeah, and that's so important. Yeah. So important to be able to yeah. have that time. And uh, I feel like from what you're saying as well, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about how, what it is to kind of be, a, you know, you're an essential worker, you're a key worker at the moment, and you're so important. And people in medicine always have been important, but perhaps like, especially what you were saying about how some of those people who normally come along, like who don't really seem to have that much wrong with them or you're not sure what's wrong with them, didn't come, that has kind of changing our perspective of what is essential, um, what what is important to go to a hospital with and what isn't. Yes, for sure. And I think um, that's also something as nurses and, and healthcare workers, we've all laughed about, I think laughter is, again, back to your coping mechanisms, laughter has been a way that we are coping. You Mm -hmm. have to find things to smile about. And in a way, it's sort of funny, but it isn't funny. But we have joked about that um, there's there's three things that people are going to learn through this. And one of them is you don't need to go to the hospital for a stomach pain. You'll figure out that there's certain things you actually don't need to go to the ER for, You'll realizing that washing your hands all the time is very important and you'll respect and admire a lot more of the essential workers that we have oftentimes viewed as just like, you know, menial jobs uh, mm-hmm. a lot better. Like we'll view people who do daily tasks that if otherwise were not done, things would be dirty or you wouldn't get your mail or you wouldn't have somebody ringing up your groceries. You wouldn't have groceries in a grocery store if you didn't have truck drivers bringing them. Like there's a lot of things that I think people are seeing that are essential and that mm. we all have to do our part for. And um, I think that's been a huge change and I think it's a good change. Definitely. Um, and, yeah. and even healthcare, especially in the Western world, we take it for granted. You know, we take it for granted that we can go to the hospital when, whenever we feel that there's something wrong, whether we have something wrong with us or not. Um, yeah. Or go and see our general practitioner. And and we have to be so thankful and mindful of that. Um, yes. Do you, feel, do you feel more essential than you normally do? Do you feel like <laughs> there's a... No? No. I don't... I don't know. I think that's a hard question because yeah. I'm very much a it is how it is kind of person. Yeah. And I've always operated that way. So, yes, I'm not going to lie and say that there haven't been times where I'm like, man, I wish I just could stay home. Like, <laughs> really, yeah. I have thought that. And in that sense, in those moments, I'm like, I'm very essential. I can't stay home. There's no staying home for me. Mm. And in those moments, it kind of hits hard, but it's more of the fact that I'm thankful for having to go to work and 
being essential, I suppose, mm. because I have a job. I, I'm mm. getting a paycheck. I know I'll have work. Um, that part of my life has not changed. That is still stable. And I'm mm. so thankful for that, um, especially with Jacob being out of work, too. Mm. So I'm just, you know, the only one bringing in anything at this point in time. Um, I'm just thankful for that. And I can't imagine how hard it is for people who don't have that mm. ability um, so I'm think I'm thankful in that sense for being essential. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I'm thankful for people like you who can still continue, obviously, to do your job. But you are allowing your job allows me to be at home. Um, at the same time, me being at home in sense of everyone else being at home is hopefully helping you do your job better as well. Yes, for sure. And I'm so appreciative of people who are making the changes and living a cleaner life and keeping their social distance for now and um, just being more aware of others. I think mm. that's been a huge change in our mindset is we we used to, and we still do, I'm sure, but we used to just operate on a one-track mind. You know, we're on our own hamster wheel. We're doing our own things. We have our own routine and everybody else is just a means to an end for us. You know, we have to go to the grocery store while well, there's somebody there bagging my groceries, you know, whoop-de-doo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, now it's a big deal. Like, there's actually people at the grocery store working, so I can buy my groceries. Or they're still picking up the garbage. Like, imagine that. Imagine if, like, mm-hmm. there was no garbage pickup for a month. Um, Or just little things like that. But... I think that's been a, a wonderful change is just seeing that um, there's much more out there except for our life. Like we, there's so many different pieces to it. And I know I'm, I'm more thankful for mm. that as well. So much more thankful for that. Have people been more thankful for you? I mean, I've like, I'm when you've been leaving work, um, there's been things in the car park at times. Yeah, so there has been a lot more um, show of support by the community um, for all of the healthcare workers at the hospital. Um, the local, I don't know, so one of the local clubs came by and they had all their bagpipes and they were playing um, national anthem and um, different patriotic songs on the bagpipes for all the workers coming into and leaving work. Um, at 7.30 one night. And then another night, there was the local fire department came and just was like running their lights and sirens and and saying thank you. And there was actually people from the community who had come and parked in the parking lot and were staying a safe distance away from each other. But they were um, saying thank you to everyone who was coming and leaving. And um, another day, um, literally maybe 50 different fire stations and police departments came out with their trucks, their, the ambulance, um, just the, you know, the police cars and everything. And they were just, there was enough of them that they came in the driveway, like at the front of the hospital and like encircled the entire, entire hospital with their rescue vehicles, with their lights on. And, um, they had, management had had gotten most of the workers out of the hospital at that except for mm. some who had to stay and watch patients mm. but they got all the the nurses the the housekeepers the cooks the patient care techs the doctors there was 
so many different people. They try to get as many of the healthcare workers outside also to, to encircle the hospital. And that was really special. It was special to see the support from other essential first responders mm-hmm. um, coming to tell us thank you. And like it, I felt like we should be telling them thank you. Like it was a very mutual experience mm-hmm. um, and a, an emotional one too for yeah. a lot of people. So yeah, it really shows how everyone everyone plays their part. Totally. <laughs> yes. You're making me feel a bit emotional now as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's let's move on and talk also talk about faith. Um, because of course this podcast is called A Little Bit of Faith. And how how has the last six or so weeks um been for you kind of do you think this has affected your faith? Has it strengthened your faith? What kind of things have you been thinking about? I think that the whole experience, to be honest, has helped strengthen it. Um, It strengthened my personal prayer life, that's for sure. Um, I had kind of fallen off the the prayer wagon other than, you know, praying for my food. Um, And it's really brought back home to me just being thankful for the little things throughout the day. And Mm -hmm. um, I know we've talked about prayer before, I think, at different Bible classes or different events. Um, And I think that conversations with God are crucial to how you view God. And um, I think we all go through the ups and downs of prayer. Um, But this has really helped get me back on track in that sense. And, you know, just the time in the mornings going to work, um, saying a prayer and having that conversation and talking about whether the things I'm afraid of or just spending that time being thankful, like each prayer is different. You know, it's mm. one morning might be more of a help me kind of prayer and another morning might be more of a, you know, a thank you for my blessings kind of prayer or just a, hey, this is how I'm feeling kind of prayer too. And mm. I think that's really special that that's kind of been an outcome of all of this. And I'm thankful for that. Um, mm. So in that sense, I think it really has the situation um, has really helped me to get closer to God in that mm. sense. Um, but it's also really put into perspective for me how I'm not scared. Like, I'm not worried. And I haven't really been most of this time um, about the general outcome of everything or where things are headed or the what ifs it's kind of been a roll with the punches viewpoint that I've always come from and I am scared and I don't get me wrong I am scared Mm -hmm. about the lack of protective equipment and the lack of support and the change of the policies and all of that going on in the hospitals um for more than one reason so that does scare me but the whole pandemic situation on a whole does not scare me and I I know that's not a popular view to come from, and I don't want that to come from a a standpoint of like sounding high and mighty or anything like that, because it's not. I just, I feel at peace about it. And I think Mm -hmm. I can attribute that to having a faith and having a hope in the kingdom eventually. And whether this is one step closer to it um, or a direct beginning to it, I don't know. 
Um, Mm. And I'm not about to try and make a prediction on that, but I just, I'm not worried. Like what will be, will be. And I don't have control over the government and I don't have control over this virus, but I do have control over my emotions and how I respond to what's going on around me. Mm. Can you see faith alive in your hospital in different ways? Yes. um, A lot of people, all of a sudden, like the nurses and the doctors and, and all of the other coworkers that are a part of our in and out routines, um, God comes out of their mouth more often in a, yeah, I said a prayer this morning, you know, in a positive way. Like we're mm-hmm. talking, people I think are less scared to bring up faith and God and um, personal Christian life, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. That's been very exciting, I think is the right word yeah. for me to see that. Because people that I had no idea went to church, all of a sudden they're talking about going to church and this and that. And I'm like, really? And I'm sure that's the same for other people too. Like as much as I think I do try to be transparent about being Christian, I don't talk about it every day. Like it's kind of, I just, I just don't talk about it every day. So yeah, it's come up here and there and people know I'd rather, like, I think, (laughs) I think people know that I go to church because when I work on Sundays, I've been known to complain about how I'd rather be at church than at work. But that's like not really a positive way to talk about it. It's just it's just me like saying, I want to be at church. I don't want to be here. Like that kind yeah. of thing. So people know I go to church. But um, yeah. there's been more conversations about God amongst our coworkers, I think, than there was before, for sure. Yeah, that's wonderful. And also with, with some of the patients, even at those difficult times where someone only has a couple of hours to live, has there been anyone reflecting on their faith at that point as well? Yes, um, in certain cases and no in others. Um, yeah. I think it just depends on on how that person's life is ending. Um, mm. You know, if, if it's more of an expected end, um, there is a lot more conversations about faith with the nursing staff, particularly um, with their patients, because there's no longer family around to have those conversations mm. with their with their loved ones. Mm. And um, I've had a couple of those conversations with patients as well. And um, at a, other times, it's just the end is coming so fast and so quickly. Or, you know, you get a patient who comes in who can't breathe because they have COVID-19 and their lungs are deteriorating and you're shoving a tube down their throat really fast and putting them on medications and all of a sudden they're paralyzed, sedated with a tube down their throat and they may never, ever come out of that. Mm. And they never had a chance to even have that conversation with anyone Mm. because you went from, you know, they, they went from being kind of sick at home to being very sick and at Mm. the hospital. Mm. And that's hard. Mm that's really hard to see because it's, it kind of just, it really, it really brings home. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. Take your time. It, it really brings home the fact that like, we don't get a chance to reevaluate our faith sometimes. Mm. And I think it's a huge call, a, a massive call to all of us as Christians or as anyone who's ever heard about God to realize that sometimes we just won't be given that second chance or those 
couple of hours before you die to reflect on your faith and your in your relationship with God. Mm. And like now is the time to make that reflection while you're healthy mm. and to not take it for granted. Mm. And to make that reflection like before you go to bed at night and to make yes. that reflection when you wake up in the morning and to make that reflection at whatever time of day you can because yes. because we don't know when our life is going to end or or when our, the opportunity for us to express that is going to end. Exactly. And I think... Um, you know, as as it usually goes, we remember God in the hard times and we kind of forget about him when it's easy mm. and when life is good. And, um, you know, it's not just the virus that makes this time unstable or any more uncertain than it was before. Yes, it's one more thing, but it's added to a list of many things. And I think that, you know, we just need to focus back in on being more thankful and more reflective and just work harder at our personal relationship with God and with Jesus because, I mean, get rid of COVID-19, life may go back to normal or whatnot, but you still, I mean, you could still be in a car accident. You could still be hit by a bus. You could still get stung by a bee. And if you're allergic to bees, that could be it. You know, you Mm. could, you know, you could, I mean, there's so many things that could happen. You could go to bed one night and you have an aneurysm in your sleep and you never wake up the next day. And Mm -hmm. your spouse might be the one who finds you in bed and that's the end of it. And you Mm -hmm. like, you never know. And it's just a good lesson to prioritize God, prioritize your personal relationship with him and just don't go to bed angry, you know? Mm. And that's been a big thing, I think. Um, a big, a good lesson for Jacob and I to start off our marriage on too is just creating that healthy habit. And it's been a really good reminder with everything going on that like life is short and we Mm. need to be thankful. We need to be really thankful for what we've got every day. Yeah. Uh, One more thing I wanted to cover because we've been talking about prayer. With everything going on and your experience now as a nurse and it's intense and it's overwhelming at times um for everyone at home who whatever they're doing whether they're working from home and um and just staying home what would you uh want people to pray about are there specific any specific things like you feel going on in the hospital that you would want people to pray about that's a good question um I think kind of in line with what we were talking about before, first and foremost, you know, pray for your relationship with God, like really focus on in on that Um, Mm. and pray for the strengthening of other people's relationships with God and Jesus. Um, I think that's like the biggest thing that you can pray for. And specifically, you know, think of the people who work in the hospital that you know, or you don't know, or um, even your family members, you know, praying for their spiritual life and their individual spiritual battles. I think that's a really big, a big thing that I just, I know the power of prayer works. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in miracles. I've seen it happen throughout the course of my brothers and sisters adoption or just my family life. Um, miracles happen. And I think they happen spiritually in people, in people's lives um, and your relationship with God, but they also hap- happen in physical ways. So I think praying for miracles and praying for your relationship with God. Like that's, 
a big thing that I think mm. people should focus on. Um, but also just pray for strength, you know, in your personal life, again, for your family members or for the healthcare workers, just the strength to go on, the um, the strength to remember what you need to remember in the moment when you're dealing with really critical situations. Um, you know, pray for our hands and our actions and the interventions that we make that that they're the right ones and that we don't harm people more you know, in, in this time, um, and that what we're doing is helping. Um, I think that's a big thing to pray for. I think just to pray for our health, like keeping us healthy and keeping us strong in that sense. I'm, I'm trying to think of the things that I pray for on my way to work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but those are definitely a handful. I think of things that Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to pray for on a regular basis, multiple times a day. Yeah. Something I think I wanted to add following up on talking about how hard it has been in the hospital with so many changes going on and um, the difficulties and just feeling not as protected, you know, from your upper management and not having the proper equipment and whatnot is also just seeing how well people have pulled together. And it is scary you know, as healthcare workers, not having control over the outcomes to a lot of these patients who have tested positive for COVID-19 and just figuring it out. But it's also been an amazing journey in some ways too, seeing how doctors and nurses and infectious disease doctors just have been researching and researching and trying new things and trying different ways to take care of these patients to help them out. And Um, Just in this last week, actually, the hospital that I work at has seen more discharges of COVID-19 patients than we've seen admissions, which is huge. And um, I'm I'm really hopeful that that's the case for a lot of hospitals and a lot of places soon. Um, And I want to encourage people to just remember that, yes, it's bad. Yes, it's scary. We need to try and slow it down as much as possible, but just to remember that it there there will be an end, you know, even when it feels like perhaps in the moment there isn't or there won't be. Um, but we're already seeing positive results and good things happening. And um, I think a lot of times we see the death tolls and all we're thinking of is, well, if you get COVID-19, you're gonna die. And that's not always the case. It's it's not for most of people. Um, you know, I think as a nurse, I've always kind of looked at the patients I take care of and I've thought, oh my goodness, is this how my life's going to end? Like, am I going to, it's really hard to distance yourself from the people you take care of and think, well, no, I might just die in my sleep or I may have a normal death. I may be pretty healthy most of my life and then have a heart attack or yeah, I might get cancer, but for the most part, like I'm a healthy person. So no, I'm not going to die of hopefully kidney failure and cancer and lose my leg and not be able to talk and have Mm. terrible dementia and like all these things that happen to a normal person at the end of their life that we see in our hospital. And I'm trying to apply that same realization to COVID-19 too, that no, if you get it, Mm. you may not die. In fact, your chances are pretty good that you're not going to die. But yes, people are very sick and there are, you know, terrible things happening you know, as far as with those sick, sick 
COVID-19 patients, but I just wanted to encourage people that, you know, don't live in fear, um, be safe, but just, you know, understand that things are getting better and they will get better mm. and it'll be okay. Thank you. And what, uh, I have a question. What's it been like discharging patients to go home after they recovered? Oh, yes. So that's actually been the last um, week was a lot better than the previous three weeks. But when patients are discharged, they play Here Comes the Sun. And they call oh. they call as many health. There's like a, over the PA system, they'll call the health, all the healthcare workers and say, anyone who's available, come to the front lobby for a discharge celebration. And so for a patient who's been tested positive for COVID-19, when they get discharged, there's a line of uh, nurses, doctors, um, physicians, assistants, nursing assistants, um, health, uh, like the housekeeping. Everyone's just lining the hallway from the elevators to the door. And the PA system is playing Here Comes the Sun um, as people clap and just are excited for you and you get to leave. And um, it's just really special. And you never know like what kind of patient you're seeing leave the hospital because they're leaving from all over different parts. So, mm. I mean, it's been, there's been times where it's, you know, an older man or a middle-aged woman or um, a young woman with a baby. Like, just like, it's been a wide range of discharges and it's been mm. really good and a really good morale booster to just have that routine um to just remind us that there's good in our day and um mm. and that there's hope yes there's ho there is so much hope yes for sure oh I, I love that well thank you so much Caitlin it's been really really lovely to talk to you um it's been moving um but I think you've shared some really important messages so thank you for taking the time and um We'll all be praying for you and all the healthcare workers around the world. And we're very grateful for your work. So God bless. Thank you so much. This has been great chatting with you as well. And I hope it helps some people out there in some way. Little darling, the smile's returning to the faces. Little darling, it seems like you since it's been here Here comes the sun doo -doo -doo. Here comes the sun And I say